0: Hello, this is Aaron Eckhart, and you are listening to Center Stage with Mark Gordon, the beautiful one and only Mark Gordon.
1: Center Stage, Center Stage, Center, Center, Center Stage.
2: Center Stage. Welcome to Center Stage. My name is Mark Gordon. On this show, we're going to talk with Mark Johnston and Mark Ryan, the directors of the documentary Wine and War the untold story of wine in the Middle East. Gentlemen, what a beautiful movie. It's artful, and I think it's a film that really needs to be seen in this environment that we're currently living in, where people need that sense of resilience. Tell me how you found this story.
1: It was a combination of many different things. First, I'd been to Lebanon for a wedding and was amazed by the culture and the people. And I work in wine and wine marketing, I would say. And Mark Johnston and I uh, were making a film about war in Lithuania. At the time, I I kind of approached the idea to to Mark and um, we kind of decided to go for it, basically.
0: Yeah. And like at the time, also, Mark brought with him to uh, Lithuania. We were on set. And while an interview was happening, uh, he was like, "Check out this book called Wines of Lebanon by Michael Karam." So I started looking at that book, and it was just fantastic how the photography brought to life this really exotic part of the world that didn't know too much about. And then what Michael wrote about in this book was really this wonderful story about winemakers and the history of wine. And so. Having been uh, wrapping up a a war documentary, this was like just seemed like the next thing to do. So I was very excited about it. So we reached out to Michael Karam and uh, he was receptive. In fact, we sent him a Facebook message and he responded five minutes later. It was really funny. And we didn't even know this guy, but he was like, yeah, let's talk. So we did a a Skype call at the time and then uh, things sounded really promising. So a few weeks later, we went out to Lebanon to meet him. And then we had some other contacts of our own, Serge Hachar and George Sara and so forth at Chateau Kassara, Chateau Massar, and uh, started our first interview. And that was seven years
2: ago. The film starts out with you interviewing Serge Hachar, and um, he's very playful. And I get the sense that he wants to throw you out of your element. Tell me what that experience was like when you first met him, and did you go in with any preconceived notions, and did he change that? Did he change your perspective?
1: Yes, I'll start it with that. I know Mark, the other Mark has a big story about that too, but Serge's character was to alter your own character and sort of turn the microphone on the interviewer. He loved to do that. Even when he was showing his wines to the wine trade, he would question their tastes and what they were experiencing at the time if that were somehow influencing the events around them he was he was a rascal traveling all over the world doing it we had to sort of find him in different parts of the world in order to record him he wasn't
0: exactly a static figure in any sense of the word Serge was like mark says a rascal, but he was also someone that wanted to push you. Uh, he wanted to engage with you. He actually preferred never talking about his wine, uh, which was always the funny thing. We would always ask, you know, so what do you think um, about wine? And he's like, no, tell me about yourself. You know, I want to hear about uh, what you have to say about the life that you're living now. So when I first met Serge, the story goes, for me, we had just gotten to Kazir in Lebanon. In the early morning, Mark was setting up the camera equipment and Serge uh, just invited me up to his office and um, he asked me, so what do you know about wine? And I, frank, I was totally frank. I said, I don't know anything about wine. Uh, I actually just like beer. And he got so excited to hear that. Um, you could almost just see that he had like someone in his possession that he could take over. And that's exactly what he did. He asked Tarek Soccer his uh, winemaker, to grab a, a bottle of 2003, which we started sipping. And the first thing I did was just throw the thing down. And he, he was like, hold back there, pour him another glass or another sip. And then he really transformed me through uh, the senses of, of taste by almost hypnotically telling me, you know, like, what do you taste now? Do you taste the earth? Do you taste the wind? on the mountains do you taste the leaves of this tree and he just kept going and i would have another taste and he would almost just tell me what i'm tasting but he would be asking me and i came out of this about an hour later just completely impressed by the philosophy of how wine and taste really can affect your brain basically and so that changed me uh, completely. And it was just really something else to be in front of someone that had such power and charisma to be able to do that. And I'm pretty stubborn person. So I have to say that was an experience I've never had since.
2: The film is beautiful. Looking at the Lebanese countryside, it's breathtaking. And you bring it up in the film, and you mention it in this interview as well that um, didn't really know much about Lebanon. But the things that that we do know in the West that I knew was, oh, it's war. It's just war everywhere. And your film takes us into this, this whole different world of a people that are these beautiful people and this sense of resilience and what they're doing to maintain a culture. And I love this notion of when you plant the seeds, it's a permanence. That these, uh, you know, these grape vines, they become a a sense of permanence. I think that's an interesting concept and metaphor for a culture.
1: Absolutely. The Lebanese are such a complex, you know, Lebanon itself is at the crossroads of many different civilizations. And uh, historically, it's been invaded and conquered by if you just go to the Wikipedia article, it will blow your mind how many different invasions, There's at least a dozen over history. You know, it sort of continues to this day in various forms. But because of that, maybe, it's like a muscle or something that gets strengthened because of all of this testing, somebody's, I guess, Punching you in the stomach like a Rocky style, you know, you'll eventually you'll get stronger. And uh, they have certainly are hyper intelligent, hyper aware, trilingual for the most part. You know, English, French, and Arabic.
0: It's it's an amazing place. I love the fact that that was your takeaway from the film, which I think is very important to see that that is is the message that is being received. I, I mean, a simple analogy lebanon is that the lebanese are are very much like the vine and they really have to dig deep and struggle and through all that hardship and instability comes this really fine juice which is their dna and they're hyper smart hyper aware and the most friendly open society i've ever seen the people not the politicians but the people there will take you in without knowing your name and offer you lunch. No joke. They will do that. We had a interesting story like driving through the mountains in Lebanon and driving in Lebanon is absolutely insane. Uh, there are no lanes, no red light, green light, yellow light, uh, cars come straight at you, motorcycles straight at you and rocks are all over the road. And so one time we completely hit a rock and popped a tire in the middle of nowhere, but we saw a house, and they saw us, and so they waved us up to the helm and fed us, you know? Most people do speak English and French, but they only spoke Arabic. It was just a prime example of friendship with no common bond. I guess the common bond would just be that you're there. Um, so I just found that very special about a place where it's mostly thought of as a war zone, but the people there are ironically, the most hospitable I've ever come across.
2: I like this concept that uh, that wine leads to conversation, which then in turn leads to peace.
1: Yes. Well, that goes along, I feel like, with the Lebanese people. They often before, during or after interviews, there were long conversations. And they were fascinated by us and us by them. And, you know, they were just wonderful stories. And we made friends often. Because they're so open and um, have experienced so much in such a short period of time, it feels like. You know, they may be age 30, but they have a a 60 year old's wisdom. So, yes, wine kind of has that cultural element, if you will, of food and wine. Uh, there was always amazing Lebanese food everywhere. You know, you just nibble on the food. It's not like a feast. I mean, it is a feast if you want it to be, you know, it's so it takes hours to eat. And uh, it's amazing.
0: I think wine as a a tool of communication is, 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 is such an important lesson. It goes back to how Serge like hypnotized me because It's so easy today in in today's society to make a comment on Reddit or Facebook or or wherever and just have no um, conversation about it. But wine is something very much of the present. And if you're with someone and you're sharing a glass, having a taste, you have a commonality in in the conversation where you could talk about the wine. But that also leads to a conversation of whatever it should be, hopefully not politics. Kind of not the most positive subject um, this year, but it, it does lead to to understanding, and and you can get somewhere with this um, when you communicate. I think that is a great lesson and a great tool.
2: What were some of the challenges that you faced in making Wine and War? Ooh, there were many.
1: <laughs> I mean, there were language differences uh, in certain communities. Like you know, when trying to film the Bedouins, there was large language differences. Uh, The Bedouins are the ones who harvest the the grapes for the most part. Oh, there's permit issues.
0: Just to get the paperwork done, to get the filming permits was nothing short of a miracle. You had to go to the Ministry of Defense, uh, the Ministry of Culture, the Ministry of Antiquities, the military police, Hezbollah, all to do one shoot in um, the Temple of Baalbek as just one example. Filming down by the Israeli border to film uh, these turtles that were hatching. Uh, that only happens within a couple week period uh, during a full moon and sunrise was another challenge. And we didn't have the right paperwork. Just one sheet of our like six sheets of paper that was all handwritten, hand, like stamped in ink. And we got denied and so we waited like four hours for the military checkpoint to change and we just went in again and kind of shuffled the papers around and they were like asking where's the other paper and we're like oh one second you know kind of just holding up traffic behind us and the guy just waved us through and it, it was stuff like that just like navigating major loopholes that occurred for example one day they just said uh no one's allowed to drive on the road there's a suspected bombing that's gonna happen. So they just shut down all the roads. So you really had to be ready to react for any situation. Another situation, keep things short, we were filming uh, Ibrahim Malouf at the Baalbek Jazz Festival uh, in 2017. And as uh, as he was right in the middle of his concert, war broke out 15 kilometers away, maybe 20 kilometers away uh, with ISIS and uh, the military here you had this beautiful old i think 5000 year old temple with uh, everyone enjoying jazz and then just in the distance a major war is breaking out with isis
2: did you ever feel in danger
0: yes
1: i mean as with um marks the issue with isis for sure that was a little definitely um But but also I'll I'll mention one other story was uh, when we were filming in the one of our characters is a a Trappist monk named Father Father Joseph. And he makes wine in a vineyard literally on the border with the northern border, Lebanese border of Syria. And um, we had to pass through a number of checkpoints um, that would not have been a. allowed, uh, we as Westerners would not have been allowed to go through. However, we happen to be with a priest in the front seat in his full monk's habit. We were given a pass, thankfully, and um, we were fine. But those were that was a hairy situation.
0: Even in uh, Lebanon itself, I mean, sorry, Beirut, there's a section um, just right in the middle, five minute drive from downtown where Hezbollah has like a four block radius that's, their compound. And I was walking through there one day, um, pretty much like the first few days I was in Lebanon, just kind of out and about strolling. And, uh, I walked right into their, uh, neighborhood without really kind of realizing it, but I noticed things changed really quickly and people were on the balconies. Everyone was kind of just looking at me and I'm very Western dressed. And so I just keep going around and then I turn a corner and then there was a Nazarene, like complete edifice on the building, and and a bunch of uh, Hezbollah fighters that had died apparently because they had their pictures all over the alleyways. And I went out to take a photo, and that was a really stupid thing to do because uh, four scooters came up. Each scooter had two uh, Hezbollah guys with them, and uh, one guy kind of lifted up his shirt, had a gun and uh went for my phone and then we had this little back and forth tug of war with my phone but i figured at the time the best way to hold my ground is just to be ignorant and start yelling that someone was trying to steal my phone and then we had this like funny exchange where he went through uh i wouldn't give him my phone but i held it while he went through and he the photos and then i walked out of there pretty quick but what was funny is the photos were still backed up
2: i loved all the historical context in the film and, um, you have a lot of, a uh, lot of news footage. Some of the images are very striking. And the one that I really think about is when ISIS was destroying all those artifacts, because you show us, uh, was it Baalbek? The, that, that kind of big fortress that's a well-preserved, uh, artifact. It's like a big, it's like a city, isn't it? Yes. Yeah. The Temple of Bacchus. Temple of Bacchus. Yeah. Um, but then to, to look at these images of ISIS destroying, you know, all these antiquities. I remember when that happened and just the stupidity behind all that.
1: Baalbek and Palmyra, the, the city of Palmyra that ISIS destroyed, um, they were stops on the spice route, um, back in the day. So, uh, in the ancient days. So it was, you know, literally geographically very close by and, um, you know the chief archaeologist of the site now um, is is very uh, concerned. You know that it's it's it is a crown jewel in Lebanon. This un- amazingly pre- preserved Roman temple in the middle of the Lebanese countryside, where um, the vineyards are currently, and and Hezbollah. You know it's 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 a very odd mishmash of cultures currently and always has been. So yes, to, to answer the question, yeah, archaeology played a big part. Um, we felt like it was just that the Lebanese and their culture is just a continuation of of many different strains of history. Whether it were the traders, the Phoenician traders that uh, you know brought the wine around the Mediterranean, um, many different things. Mark, do you want to talk about that?
0: Well, yeah, I mean, they're just lucky that uh, the war stopped at the borders where it did, um, because that was certainly next in line, um, especially since it's a temple dedicated to wine to Bacchus, the wine god, so or Dionysus. So, um, very, very happy that that didn't happen. And while we were there, it was really fun to see that um, a lot of celebrities were visiting during this time. where where we thought it was like totally dead, but you would have like Ai Weiwei was there uh, one time and we were like waiting for him to have his private tour done. Um, so I think um, this temple is well-respected within um, the intelligentsia out there. So um, hopefully the world will protect it from the idiocracy of, of things like ISIS.
2: You have... Um some fascinating subjects in your film and uh, I really like I'm probably going to mispronounce his name but Ives Morin, Morad Morad Morard Yves Morard Yves yep. Morard he's he's just incredible I mean he's such a colorful character tell me about that experience interviewing him and he's got a he's got a very fascinating story
1: Oh wow yeah I mean um Yves Morad is a <clears throat> Uh, yeah, he was a, a Frenchman um, who, uh, you know, responded to a classified ad in 1982 in the midst of the Lebanese Civil War to make wine in Lebanon for an upstart winery there. Um, and, uh, yeah, we tracked him down. Um, you know, I don't want to give too much away in the film, but we tracked him down to to hear his story that we had heard through rumor Um We wanted to get it verified, and so he was living in a small village in southern France, uh, still making wine, and um, he was more than happy to tell us his story. However, we didn't speak French, and he didn't speak English, but uh, Michael Karam, the writer and uh, sometimes interviewer, spoke some Arabic. So between a combination of French and rusty Arabic, we heard his story, basically.
0: He was a legend during the time, during the Civil War, from various other people we've interviewed. He was the one guy from the West who ended up in the Bacow Valley as a winemaker for Chateau Caprea, one of the original and most famous wineries there. He would dress up in a ballerina outfit and just show up at parties and was just such an enigmatic and funny character. So you could just imagine this one guy from the West surrounded by Lebanese winemakers making wine in a war zone and just being this funny vivacious character. You look for people like this for storytelling and and he certainly was a gem.
2: Serge says something in the film how, I'm just gonna kind of paraphrase this from my memory, but if grapes drop on the ground, they'll ferment and they will create wine, they will just do it. And I think about in making the film, wine gets better with time. You know, Serge talks about we're gonna the, the, like towards the end. There's a scene where they uh, he drinks wine with this uh, with this author. Uh, what's her name? Oh, Elizabeth Gilbert. And they they start at three and they go all the way into the evening. And I'm just wondering with your film, did you create the story or did the story create itself
1: hmm (laughs) it it was definitely a combination of the two um like wine um like the concept of terroir which is that a wine should resemble its place that it was grown in um our film was a combination of uh letting people Say what they had to say with a little intervention, I guess, from the winemaker, filmmaker, so to speak, you know, to help guide the story. Um, yeah, the, it. it uh, well, you know, there's a reason a film takes seven years, and it. We found so many different stories. I mean, everyone has lived through the war. That's of a certain age there, and uh, has stories to tell. You could make a movie about every single person in Lebanon. I have no doubt.
0: Yeah, uh, that very first time I met Surge, he, he also asked, you know, well, what do you want this film to be? And and we had a mission statement, and and what I told him is, well, we want to paint a positive light on the Middle East through, through the lens of wine. And then he simply said, like, well, then that's what it'll be. And then, you know, that was the first interview. Seven years later, um, you know, just really working at it and... Changing the storyline many times because it, it's really difficult to to add all these people together in a in a linear thread where they're all lining up and saying things that lead into the next subject. And so, um, but I believe what what Serge was saying was like if you have a vision for something, then it'll be it'll show up. And and that's where this film ended up. It's it is the vision we intended. To make and um, it just took that time and we we also had a couple pillars that we had to hit right no politics uh, we didn't want to deal with religion so those two also were part of the bones on on how uh, we crafted the story which which also helped
2: it looks like part of the intention of your movie is to support this group called capo
1: yeah, well, Capo is a um, an organization that is based in the St. George Hospital in Beirut. Uh, the St. George Hospital was one was badly affected in the explosion, uh, the August fourth explosion in Beirut.
0: The friends we've met over those seven years are like dear friends, and those friends, uh, luckily, I was about to say our friends didn't directly have any any major losses, but. It turns out that uh, that wasn't true. We found out about a week after the explosion on August 4th that Serge Hochar's sister had died in the blast. The door to her home blew open and knocked her and killed her, uh, which was really, really sad. And that happened to many people. And a lot of scars, a lot of destruction. And so our friends were really devastated because their friends had businesses destroyed, homes destroyed, everyone was living with other friends, and uh, it's, it's put a tremendous strain on a country that has already been under a major strain, with half the population being refugees from Syria, hyperinflation on a, Venez- on a Venezuelan scale, COVID, uh, massive political corruption, a huge trash crisis. I mean, you name it, they have it. There's really not a lot to be said that's good coming out of Lebanon, except the people and the wine. And so after seven years, this is, the, this is what we know what we can do. So all the proceeds to the film for watching the film will go to Capo, who is providing insurance to children that don't have access to medical insurance and to rebuild the St. George Hospital
2: where Capo is based. When you think of the film and the ultimate message of this movie, and what would it be?
1: There's definitely uh, many that one could draw from it. My personal take is that uh, this resilience that the Lebanese have shown so much of and have learned and perfected this art of resilience you know it's something that that we can all learn from. It's something that seems to come by second nature to the Lebanese you know when something happens in life you you may have a plan b or 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 whatever the the Lebanese have plan a b c d is <laughs> you name the contingency plans they have it and they're almost they're ready to change on the stop of a dime at at any moment and have, a, have fun and have a, a sort of this, what the French call the joie de vivre, you know, this sense of joy in life and of living every moment to its fullest in the process. That's my takeaway, but there, there are many of them.
0: I would hope a, a takeaway coming out of the film was that no matter what life throws at you, you can always bounce back and use it to your advantage because the upside is life. And that's the most important thing. And we shouldn't hold ourselves down by the situations we are in, but to, to rise above it and don't let politics weigh you down because people in general, uh, I would say are mostly good and we could all uh, live a better life knowing that.
2: One of the um, subjects in the film, he makes this uh, this observation about or or just says that, you know, sometimes we don't have electricity 24 hours a day, but we just get by, we make do with what we have. And I think that notion is lost in the West because we can go out and, you know, people are more concerned with the cappuccino that they're going to get than than looking at what's really important in life. And perhaps maybe this is what uh, COVID-19 has taught us, The importance of connection, of communication, of peace, of family. And that notion resonates through your film. And I I found your film extremely touching and extremely moving and inspiring. And I really appreciate what you've done and the people that are represented in your movie that share their insight and their story about living and life in the face of tragedy, in the face of danger. Thank you, gentlemen. It was a pleasure. For more information about the film, visit wineandwar.com. Until next time, this is Mark Gordon, and I'll see you center stage.
1: Center stage, center stage, center, center, center stage. Center stage. Hello, this is Homie Simpson. Whenever I want to know what's going on in the entertainment world, I listen to Center Stage with Mark Gordon.
2: (laughs) For more on Center Stage, visit stageandscreen.com. And hey, don't forget to subscribe to our podcast.